Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life. Shanti, the time that we choose to be aware doesn't necessarily require me to just sit and meditate, but even while I walk and move around, I can be in a meditative awareness, which is awareness of the soul the original, eternal, imperishable being of light. For a little while, I'd like to invite you to be present, to be here, and to be now. Allow your mind to settle in the moment, to relax. This meditation is about awareness. It's about becoming aware of your original and eternal self. It's about connecting to your truth. Let go of your name. And observe yourself feeling nameless. Let go of your gender to discontinue thinking you're a man or a woman. Let it go and observe how you would feel walking around without a gender. Let go of the role that you play and let go of the titles that you own. Observe how you're feeling as you are gradually letting go. Let go of your religion and put it aside just for now. And let go of your nationality and even the language that you're accustomed to. Imagine you have no name, gender, role, title, religion, 
nationality or even a language. Ask yourself, how do you feel at this moment? And in this feeling, who would think of you and who would you think of? The Supreme Soul would think of you, and you, the liberated soul, would think of the Supreme. In this state of absolute freedom, I am truly who I am. A free, Peaceful, pure, immortal, and eternal soul. Allow yourself to just be absorbed in this awareness. this time. Hello everyone, welcome to America Meditating Radio. That was Letting Go from Inclusion Revolution Together with Love by yours truly, available on Amazon, iTunes, and all over the place. I hope today finds you well. And I hope you are breathing the spirit of courage, bravado, stepping into your power, believing that you're stronger than some of those waste or negative thoughts that are trying to push you down versus your vision trying to pull you up. It's interesting. If we were to actually have the most microscopic lens on our thoughts, it would look like a seesaw. One moment I'm down, another moment I'm up. And I believe that really the kind of a form that we wish our thoughts to perhaps model is like a spiral, just going up, just just going up, just going up, just going up, just going up. And the higher we are in terms of our interpretation of who we believe ourselves to be, which is an extremely beautiful energy existing on the planet, versus what we've been conditioned to believe, the higher we get in that belief about who we really are, what we are meant to be here, the less affected we're going to be down below, the less we're going to be bothered by the behavior of people, the attitudes of people, the expectations of people, your own stuff. You know, you're just going to be bothered less. And so a sign of your spiritual growth is that you are less bothered by all the events that are unfolding in front of you. But there's always that little one compelling energy that tends to, you know, just travel with us like our shadow. I might consider myself to be very fearless, but if I see uh, a snake, I'll screech, you know. So I, I've been in that situation before, and I went, what, 
oh, come on, I'll stand up in front of anyone and just be as calm and, and clear as I want to be and unafraid and, uh, and and speak my truth. And I see a little snake and I scream or I'm running on the chair, I'm standing up. And so this energy of fear seems to live in all of us in some shape, form, or the other. And I believe that it's being fed by little moments or glimpses of our own attachment or ego to our identity. And if a situation or circumstance emerges and challenges that identity, then we're afraid of letting it go. I know it's a long conversation. We can talk about it forever, but... Let me just go to our next guest. And the reason why I'm talking about fear is I, I want us to really go deeper into it in our conversation with Monica Berg. Monica is an international spiritual thought leader, author, and chief communications officer of the Kabbalah Center. A self-proclaimed change junkie, Monica is a fresh voice that channels her many years of Kabbalistic study along with personal life experiences. Monica shows individuals how to create a life that not only feels like it's working, but most importantly, a life in which they're living and loving as the powerful, fulfilled person they've always wanted to be. She leads people to not only see how they can change, but inspires them to get excited about a lifestyle of change. Her new book is entitled Fear is Not an Option. Today, we welcome Monica Berg to America Meditating Radio. Monica, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. It's great to be here. So I commend you for being a change junkie. Why not? You could have been a junkie for something else. (laughs) So tell us what it actually means to be a change junkie. Are you one of those individuals that a week later I'll see you with a new hairdo, a month later I'll see you with a new partner, six months later I'll see you with a new job? Explain to us, what is a change junkie? I think that's very funny. Well, most people crave change and yeah. Because change is hard work, usually people change things that are external, like the list that you just mentioned, right? Dyeing their mm-hmm. hair purple or cutting it short, um, moving you know, to a different neighborhood. I've been married for, to the same person for 23 years, and uh, I've worked in, for the same organization since I was 18. <laughs> so with that, right, you would think that I don't love change. But the change that I'm talking about is making a commitment to living your best life and seeking radical change followed by immense growth. So change is interesting because, again, it's something we all crave, but at the same time, it's a word that does strike fear for some of us because the idea of change can inspire our most painful memories or difficult transitions. Sometimes, for instance, children are forced to live in two households when their parents get divorced. It's a change they didn't ask for, they didn't like. Um, or if a parent gets sick, or any kind of change usually is something that is big and it's uncomfortable and it was not warranted. So what we do is we tend to run from change, right? We work so hard to accumulate different things in our lives, to get the best job, to get married, to buy the house, all these things that we think will make us happy. And then when we get it, we hold on really tightly because we're afraid to lose it. So we don't want anything to change. I worked so hard to get here. But then you have to ask yourself the question, well, are you living your most fulfilled life and are you happy? And what I realized is that when you start to go with the ebb of flow of life, which is change, you start to live in that reality where nothing really affects you in a negative way because change is there for all the good and for all the bad. And it's a necessary part of becoming our best selves. So the kind of change I'm talking about is becoming spiritually hungry. And when you shift that consciousness and you have that perspective in life, then everything that happens to you happens through you and you evolve from it and you end up happier and better for it. 
So tell me, what was it that spurred your interest in change? Because you're married for over 20 years. You're in the same job since you were 18. What compelled you to really look at change from a thought level, an inner level? I love your questions. I don't believe in suffering, and uh, it's never been a belief of mine, even as a young child. So when things happen to me in life, as they happen to all of us, that were challenging, I had a choice to make. I could either become a victim or think that I was undeserving and that's why, you know, this happened to me, or I could embrace the opportunity. So I think that I toyed around with the idea. I had been studying spirituality, Kabbalah specifically, since I was 17. And so I always looked for purpose through for everything that happened. But when my – I have four <laughs> children. When my second son was born with Down syndrome – I found out a few hours after his birth. And again, that was the kind of change that I did not want and that I was afraid of. You know, can I raise a child with a disability? Will I be a good mother? You know, how will it affect my children, you know, me, my husband, my marriage? And then I realized that, you know, we never know anything that's going to happen in life ever. And, you know, I happened to find out about his challenges on the day he was born, but I had a lifetime to discover his gifts. So I started to adopt that perspective and everything. And with that, I thought, okay, so things are going to happen. You might not want them, but if you look for the gift in it, then you can actually seek this kind of, of understanding in everything. You know, you missed your flight or you didn't get the book deal you wanted or, you know, whatever happens, small and right. big in life. You can say, okay, well, this is an opportunity for me. I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to love it actually. And I can promise you when you, and it's work, but when you start to change your perspective and expand your consciousness, you really, life is fun. You know, life is happening for you in amazing ways. Yeah, and it's funny, you know, I think as we grow and evolve and gain more experiences, we do begin to realize the profound benefits in challenging your thought patterns, in making changes. And we all know that we become what we've been thinking. And so if we find ourselves in a rut, in an uncomfortable place. There was a time, and I don't know if you remember this, Monica, where we would kind of sit back and just wish to be out of it, but we did nothing to get out of it. Of course, you would, you know, the thought of getting out of it is good, but we also had to really have the intention in the thought and to begin to view the actions following the intentions. And I know that there's sometimes just those feelings in the soul that are from a past experience, and it could be fear-binding. And your new book is all about fear, that it's not an option. It's not an option. So what was it that made you write about the topic of fear, and what were you going through that you started to tell yourself, look fair, you look the fear in the eye, and you go, you're not an option in this journey for me right now, so this is what I'm going to do. Like, what was happening with you? Well, yeah, it was a big, uh, profound shift. First, I named the book Fears on an Option because when it's no longer an option, you need to find a new one, right? So I mm-hmm. think that very often people with many things, and especially with fear, they try to learn to live with their fear or, um, you know, learn how to manage their fear. And I want you to completely eradicate fear. And in the book, I break down different ways to do that, and I identify that there's three different types of fear, and I can go into that. But for me... The most scary times, the most scary experience, again, was when I had my son. I mean, you know, the first month, I can say I had extreme anxiety and um, crippling fear. 
And when I got to the other side of it, and I only got to the other side of it by seeing it as a gift, and really he's such a special special soul, and I felt like, you know, and ultimately he has made me a better mother, a more empathetic person, a better mm-hmm. friend, a teacher. I mean, I, I would never, I wouldn't have written the book, right, if I had not had him. And I just finished my second book. Like my life, yes, I was speaking about spiritual ideas. I was living it. But this big shift in understanding that you can actually overcome the things that you think stop you the most. I mean, that was the profound change for me. And I think that I realized that, you know, what stops people from pursuing their dreams or to having desire and really feeding the negative is fear. It gets in our way and it steals our most valuable possession, which is our potential. So after I had gone through that experience with Josh, I went so the other way, like the worst thing in my mind that could have happened happened in a way. And then it Mm -hmm. turned out to be amazing. Right. So it made me change my whole outlook. And then I started to challenge like anything that I felt I couldn't overcome, I would stop in that moment and I would say, okay, what would you do if you were not afraid and go do that? I found great power in the experience. Mm, So interesting how the tests will actually reveal to us the power that's there. How would you define fear and what would you say is the root cause of it? Well, I think at the core, everybody's fear is the same. People don't realize that, right? We assign it to many different things, and a lot of it's based on our childhood or our first experience with fear, and we think that that's the biggest thing. Maybe it's public speaking, or you were talking about snakes earlier, but really the ultimate fear that is at the core of everyone's fear is fear of the unknown. It's that uncertainty. As humans, we all crave to be certain about our future, about our purpose, about you know, our decisions. And we crave that so completely that the unknown is the most terrifying. And we make a lot of decisions because we want to feel safe. And often they're the wrong decisions. Mm -hmm. But if we Mm -hmm. challenge that, right? I mean, what do we really know for certain? You woke up this morning. Do you know really what's going to happen? Let's say you have plans, you have goals, you have ideas. We don't know really what's going to happen. So to live in this place of like, oh my God, I don't know what's going to be, fear of being up. What's, it's just for me is a complete and utter waste of time. Yeah, yeah, it is. That's exactly what I told somebody who was giving an interview with us here, that it's a waste of time. So are there different types of fears? Yes. So there's three different types of fear that I've identified. There's real, healthy, and illogical. So real fear is as it sounds. It's something that is rooted in reality. It's fear of, it's a real fear, but it's in reality. It's based on uh, death, on sickness, on losing our loved ones. Sorry, that's healthy fear. But even with healthy fear, we can use it as a motivator for growth. So for instance, if you fear losing your loved ones, then make sure that time that you spend with them is purposeful. It's you're telling them how you feel about them. You're not wasting time in, you know, worrying what's going to be. Because very often people think, oh, my God, what am I going to do if my parents die? Or, you know, what if I get sick? But if that's really your fear, then make better healthy lifestyle choices, right? Eat healthy, exercise. There's so many things. So even with that healthy fear, you know, it could be a motivator for change and growth. So real fear, that's something that is there for our survival and our protection. It's there to keep us safe. So, for instance, let's say that you're on a hike and you go too close to the edge of a cliff and you fear that you might fall, that there's something in you that makes your heartbeat or your stomach turn and you step back, right? It's there to protect us. Intuition's the same thing. You know, when we have that feeling of if we're about to get in an elevator and there's somebody in there that makes us uncomfortable and we say, you know, I don't want to go in, but we go in because we don't want to seem impolite. 
those kinds of stories right. should be honored. It's there to protect us. And I wrote about that as well. There's a story of Carol Durant who was in Murray, Utah, and um, she was approached by a police officer, and he said that somebody's broken into your car. We've apprehended him, and we come back to the station with me because he has some items, and we want you to see if they're yours. So, again, she had that feeling in her gut that, you know, I don't think this is something that I should really do. So she asked right. to see his badge. He showed it to her, and um, so she agreed to go along with him. So they drive on the highway, and she realizes they're going the opposite direction from the station. So she says, well, you know, what are you doing? You're going the wrong way. He, with the hand that's not driving, he grabs her hand and tries to handcuff her. Now, because she was already kind of aware, she was mm-hmm. able to jump out of the car. He pulls over. They struggle, and she escapes. A few days later, she reads in the newspaper that on that same day, a woman was raped and killed. And the police officer that she had met was actually serial killer Ted Bundy. So it's an extreme situation. But that's exactly that kind of fear. Again, it's there to help us. So healthy and real, I'm okay with. You just still need to transform it and find the power in it. But then there's illogical fear. And this is the fear that really takes up so much of our mental space. It's fear of fighters, of heights, of um, of public speaking, and it really just cripples us. It stops us from living our our best life and our Our greatest potentials. It stops us from even desiring. But these are the ones I want you to challenge. These are the ones that we can completely eradicate, which really take up 90% of our thought. And when you do, then nothing will get in the way from what you would envision for yourself. Well, is it fear that she felt when the cop, even though she checked for the ID and stuff, or was it just intuition? Is fear and intuition kind of linked? They are, because if you are fear-based, you're not able to tap into We all have all the answers to everything. Mm-hmm. We, mm-hmm. you know, If we take time to be still, if we take time to really take our thoughts seriously, if we take time to take our desires seriously, that voice becomes louder. But when you keep drowning it out and the fear is louder, then intuition doesn't really have a space for you. And that's why very often people ignore this, you know. Oh, I know, I felt that, I don't know why I didn't listen, or I had a bad feeling, but I did it anyway. It's there. We're set up, it's in us. But when you are busy making the fear the sound that's louder, you're not going to hear anything. Right. I like that. When you're too busy making the fear much louder, then you're not going to hear anything else. In your book, you have said that we are armed with powerful intuitive responses to fear, and those should always be heeded. Is that, again, connected to like the story of the lady you, you told earlier, or let's just say I woke up one morning one day, I had to go to the airport, drop a friend off early in the morning, and for some reason in my morning meditation, I was told to take a flashlight. No reason. But I put the flashlight in the car anyway. I just said, well, I'm going to put the flashlight in the car. Sure enough, on the way back, there was a flat, and it was very dark because it was 5 o'clock in the morning coming back from Baltimore. And I got out of the car to see what I could do, and the car pulled over. And it was the flashlight I was shining in his eyes, and I said, wow, an angel has come to help me. And I think that kind of disarmed whatever he was intending to do, and he did end up maybe he wasn't planning to do anything, but there was something <laughs> about the flashlight, you know there was just something about that flashlight when I just put it in his face and made that comment, and um he helped me change the tire so you know is there something connected there? I mean, do we really need to really be tapping into the the feeling of fear? I mean, what's the feeling of fear like? can you? describe it? I mean, how do we heed it? 
Well, again, it, it is like that story I shared with Carol Durange. It's also mm-hmm. if you're going into a parking lot. And, you know, it's interesting because people say, well, how do you know if it's a real fear or if it's not? So you go right. into a parking lot, and let's say every day you're afraid when you walk in there and you envision somebody attacking you or being in the corner in the dark, and you, you're scared every time. Now, I would say that that's not a real fear. However, if you're never afraid and you walk into that parking lot and that feeling comes around, I would take that seriously, just like you knew to take the flashlight. I mean, I live in New York City now. I moved here six years ago. And when I'm walking down a dark street, and actually I feel safer here in a way because there's people everywhere. But if I'm walking down Mm -hmm. a dark street and I start to get that feeling, I absolutely stop. I turn around. And if there's somebody behind me, I look them in the eyes until they pass. And, and I'm not afraid to do that. In fact, no, because there are New York City. <laughs> <laughs> but so, so I feel like that that kind of response that you have to experiences, external things that come, or things that you're about to do in the day, and you get a thought or you get a feeling, honor that. But if it's a thought that's ruminating over and over and over again, like entering the parking lot every single day, well, then find a new parking space, because or, or, that's not a real fear, right? Yeah. That could be just a that's paranoia. That's a lot of mental space, exactly. And all of that mental energy can be used for something far greater and purposeful. Absolutely, absolutely. What a profound topic, no? Like so many of us are struggling with something that we're still holding on to, that sometimes it feels like it's a fear of loss. Like for me, it's like a fear of getting hurt. It's not even the fear of dying as such, Monica, but, oh, my gosh, just don't torture me. <laughs> it's just so weird. Mm. And you wonder where does even that idea come from? And I believe that there's just something recorded in the soul from a past experience that it's still grappling with and really trying to let go of. I think so, too. But I think it's a combination. I think for sure our souls, you know, we remember everything. Your body has cellular memory. It's there, and you're probably tapping into that. But also... You know, I would look back and think about what your first experience with pain was, both physical, emotional, mentally, and you probably didn't like it very much, and you're avoiding it, sure. and, and you're going to great measures to avoid it. And I say challenge that, too. You know, I've, I've given these examples in my book, but I remember that uh, shortly after my second son was born with Down syndrome, I got pregnant three months later, and I did that, and that was the most one of the bravest things I've ever done because I was terrified. I mean, I really had a lot of trauma from that, you know, birth and even the whole pregnancy. I had felt, by the way, that something was different and not right. And I kept telling everybody something's wrong. And nobody wants to hear a pregnant woman saying that. My friends were like, no, what are you talking about? Nobody would listen to me because it made them uncomfortable. Sure. And so then I got pregnant and, uh, and I challenged those fears as well. But anyway, after I gave birth a few years later, I thought, you know, and my adrenal glands were shot. I used to be the one that, you know, loved blood. I would pull out my cousin's teeth. Like, I'm the one you would call the calm one in any kind of chaotic situation. But after this trauma, you know, I couldn't. I mean, anything would throw me off. Now, I mm-hmm. thought I still enjoyed roller coasters, as I always had. And I thought, oh, we'll have a really fun day. We'll just be free. And, well, we get up on the first roller coaster, and we're inching up, and we're <laughs> about to make the first drop. And I realized that what I used to love, I hated. I mean, I absolutely <laughs> was terrified. And it's going really slowly, and there's this platform to the left of me with this bear, and this bear's waving, and it's all jolly, and it's like, I'm thinking, okay, this is the last happy thing I'm ever going to see in my life. It's meant to be adorable, but I thought it was like a sign of impending doom. So I actually had this thought that I was going to jump off the roller coaster to the platform so I wouldn't have to ride down it. 
And then I heard the mm-hmm. thought, and the thought was so crazy. It scared me more than the roller coaster. I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to make the evening news. I'll never live this down. My kids will be embarrassed. <laughs> and, of course, I didn't jump off. I rode the roller coaster. But what I did that day is I forced myself to go on every single roller coaster. And it wasn't because I enjoyed the first one suddenly or the second one. It's I knew that if I didn't do that, I would have had a new fear that day of roller coaster. So I challenged it. And then I adopt that now in everything. Like anything that comes up that even scares me a little bit, you better believe I'm going to go head first in it. So the same thing with you. If I was really afraid of like pain, I would do things to challenge. Like my fourth child, I gave birth without any IV even, I mean, nothing. And I'm a marathon runner. Like I I like to push myself to all kinds of extremes because I don't want to be controlled or ruled by any fear. Well, I can see you because I would not be doing that. I'm such a wimp. But anyway, (laughs) in your book, Fear is Not an Option, you do share seven things that you want your daughters to know to become fearless women. Could you share a few of those with us? Yes, and that list I love because it took me a while to actually learn to live that myself mm-hmm. and um, and really own it, you know. And uh, so I wanted to give them that kind of awareness and consciousness and all people really to help them eradicate fear because part of it is really feeling so good in who you are in, in your body. So the first one is your body is part of your expression, I know that I had a lot of, you know, I write about this in my book too. I had an eating disorder, I had anorexia, and it, it took me a really long time to be able to love myself completely instead of just looking for the flaws. So I think that that's huge, and not just for women, for everybody. Another one I really love is never be ashamed of your passions. Because so often people try to shame us, and it took me a long time to realize that the issues people had with the things that I was doing really had very little to do with me and more about how it made them feel about the way they were living their own lives. So I really want to inspire my girls and all my children to really, Mm -hmm. first of all, identify and hear what their passions are, allow themselves to say, I want this, and not have any shame about it, and then have the courage to go after it, irregardless of what anybody says or thinks or does. Mm -hmm. Um, So fascinating. Another one I really like specifically from a parent to a child is talk to me even if we disagree. I was raised in a Middle Eastern home, and um, a lot of yelling in the house, and mm-hmm. you know, do it my way, follow my rules, you're in my house, and I never wanted to do that, so I want to hear what they have to say, and and I want them also to continue to hear what I have to say even when they're older, and uh, and it's it's good to disagree. I want to hear your perspective, and I want you to hear mine, and I don't want to raise robotic children to follow right. me because I'm the adult, you know? Mhm, mhm, I get that, and that's important, especially with this generation. They're not like I was i mean they they want questions, and they're like ten steps ahead of everyone. Haven't you oh, noticed, yeah. yeah, even yeah. if you told them it's my house, and these are my rules, they would look at you like, "What planet are you on now? You know they I would know. Just be like <laughs> I know, but somewhere though, even though that's the case, somewhere mm-hmm. deep inside that creates a belief system for them, and it's yeah. a flawed. Right, and I, and I think with my life's work, a lot of it was, yeah, I challenged my parents, too. I was like, okay, whatever. I mean, I really, I'm not one to, I don't really like arbitrary rules, but I know that it did somewhere stop me and make me stuck in a lot of ways in, in terms of limiting belief systems that I had to work through. Sure, I get that. Well, let's move on a little bit about self-care. How did you define self-care, and it's becoming more and more increasingly important 
impact in companies and families and communities? What self-care well, do you Well, it's interesting because a lot of people, I'm doing this, my next book is called Rethink Love, and it's about relationships. And I asked this question for this workshop I'm doing, you know, do you practice self-care? And, you know, there were eight people that answered it, and two kind of understood what I was asking, and the other six didn't. And they're like, yeah, I work out, I get massages. I'm all for that, by the way. But the mm-hmm. kind of self-care I'm talking about is self-interest. I want you to be interested in who you are and who you're going to become. I think that most people focus, on again, on, you know, I took a vacation or I got new sneakers or, you know, I had a nice glass of rosé and watched the sunset. And I like pleasure. And we're living in a physical world. And, of course, it's part of our existence. And we should partake and enjoy that. But we're never going to find that peace of mind and that stability and that balance and that continual happiness unless we stop seeking externally and we start to make that shift internally. So if you want to have a long-lasting love affair with yourself, it's really to honor your thoughts, your desires, your growth, kindness. It's, It's really in that area. And first you have to do that for yourself, and then when you do that for others, there's no greater feeling. There's no greater joy. And there's nothing else that's consistent other than those things. So I love I'm so glad you said that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'm so glad you said that because a lot of people still consider self-care, going by the beach, getting a spa, getting a treatment. And that's a part of the physical care that sometimes will pacify the soul or the mind. But, yes, to have self-interest, to be curious about what these thoughts are saying to you, where are they going, what are they supporting or feeding, or you know, or what do I need to stop thinking, which is not healthy for me, is a very big sign of Absolutely. self-care. Right, Absolutely. it's huge. Yeah. yeah. So um, as we get to a close, a positive thinking movement, it suggests that we should set goals, focus on what we want. And you recently wrote a blog about the power of anti-goals. What is an anti-goal and how does this method work? It's weird, you know, Monica, just recently when I was in my, like, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, I used to every year write, like, 10 things that I was going to achieve for the year. And generally by the end of the year, I've accomplished, like, six to seven of them. And just recently, <laughs> yeah, I really, I like, I'll achieve, like, six or seven by the end of the year. And just recently, I have started the same thing again. I go, well, if it worked when I was a kid, why can't it work now? And now you're telling me anti-goals are really not needed. (laughs) Well, no, I'm all for goals. I have my list, too. What I like to call that list, though, is the power of intention, right? What are your intentions? Because I feel like that's a little bit different. And I journal also, and I actually found, I do this every September. My birthday is in September also, and I just find it to be a really, the seasons are changing, and it's a very introspective time for me. And I found a journal, and I was so surprised because it was for, like, I had written it seven years before or something, and everything I had written had happened. And the only thing that was, and I was surprised. Like, it was like, I'm going to write this many books. And the only thing that was off was how long I thought it would take me. It was much shorter than it did, and that's what we all do as people. But And I'm all for that. But anti-goals is, I think, very often – we, and it kind of goes back into the change thing, we fixate on 
you know, I want this to happen, I want that to happen, but then we're not really clear how to do it, and we get stuck even in the execution of our goals. So I find this tool to be very helpful in executing goals. So I want you to fixate on what you don't want to do or what you don't want to be or what's not working for you. And I know it sounds opposite of, like, the positive thinking model, but just work with me for a second. So let's say that you want to go help children in India or Africa. Instead of coming there and say, okay, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, it might work, it might not, I would first say, okay, this is what's not working in Africa. This is not working in India. And by what's not working, you're going to find a better solution as to what does work. So, for instance, and I started to do this in the way that I work in my career. So I don't feel very inspired working in an office with fluorescent lighting and facing a wall. When I'm writing, I'm facing nature. There's a tree. I'll go by the park or I'll sit by a window in my house and, you know, having meetings. People like to have very long meetings. You know, maybe let's schedule three hours. I know that we can probably do this in 20 minutes. So there's certain things that I won't do anymore because it's just the opposite of what's going to help me achieve. I get that. Uh, And yet I'm still going to have to think a little bit more deeper on it. (laughs) I know because it's opposite of how we would approach it, but it really, no, really works. I really want you to try it and see what happens. I remember that early 20s, I used to have this habit where, let's say, I'd say, oh, I'll never get a Ferrari. But deep down in my heart, I go, oh, my God, I so want that Ferrari. Isn't that funny? <laughs> and there is something that would actually emerge, and I would get it. I So I have an idea of what you're saying. It's that... Sometimes the deeper intentional energy, which sometimes we're not consciously aware of, is at work. And where we think the conscious aspect of our thought process is more powerful than the unconscious, I think we sabotage ourselves a lot of times. So there is a power sitting inside of all of us, and I think it's great if we can find a way in how to articulate it where it is to our benefit, to ourselves, and to those around us. I was going to say, because our minds are so powerful, people underestimate. I mean, our mind is an obedient servant. So if your conscious mind is telling your subconscious mind something else, it's going to follow it. So I just think it's a waste of time to say, oh, I hate long meetings, or I'm going to schedule less long meetings and have only two a week instead of five a week, or they're going to be two hours instead of three hours. If you don't like long meetings and you're not productive at all on them, then don't do them. Find a way to do it in 20 minutes. Like, I I just think I want a profound shift. I don't believe in, you know, like, oh, I'll just adjust. It's better than what it was before. I want you to you can completely eradicate everything and make it work for you. I don't believe in any other way. Good, good, fantastic. Well, look, leave us with a website and information about any updates that we can, you know, keep in touch with. That will be awesome. Yes, um, you can follow me on Instagram, MonicaBerg74. My blog is RethinkLife.Today. You can find Fear is Not an Option on Amazon and on my website. And my next book, Rethink Love, is coming out on Valentine's Day. Okay, great. Thank you so very much. It's been a pleasure, Monica. Wishing you you all the very best. Same here, same here. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Lovely. I think you all took a lot of nuggets from my conversation with Monica Burke. For more information, go to RethinkLife.today for more information. Remember, no one can take away your happiness unless you give them permission, and we really are here to love each other the same. So let's do that. Here is Dance Away from Bliss. Take care, everyone. Be well.
I'm Sister Jenna. You've been listening to America Meditating Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Did you enjoy that conversation? Because you can also listen to it on Spotify or on iTunes 24-7, anytime, anywhere. I do trust we all have inner power to become our very best. When we listen with curiosity to learn more, we grow. So thanks so much for tuning in, and do be easy on yourself. Take care.